If you're just watching this sermon later or listening to it later, just feel the need to say this. There's some people who are homebound, they can't get out. And I'm thankful we have the technology where they can hear the gospel at home. There's some people who have gotten in a habit of not getting out. And I just want you to know, if you're able to go be among God's people and you're choosing not to be, I don't say this to make you feel bad. I say it because of what we have experienced this morning is not on this recording. And I'm not, I'm not saying this is not make you feel bad. I'm saying you're missing out. If you're able to, go be somewhere with God's people. Because I'm going to do my best to preach and the Lord will help me. I know He will. I'm a weak vessel, but He'll help. And if He helps me, it'll be a good message. That's not the same as the fellowship of the Spirit we've experienced here this morning. It's not the same as the washing that I have felt from the Holy Spirit. It's not the same as the encouragement that I felt. It's not the same as the love. You can't capture that on a video or on a recording. And I just want to encourage you. Those of you who are here looking at me, you're here. And you can attest, if, I'm, if what I'm saying is true, can you just give a big hearty amen? amen? If you're not here, I want you to get around God's people. It is, that's why the Hebrew letter says, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together. It's not some kind of legalistic church rule thing. We're going to get you if you don't go. That's not what it's about. What it's about is, it's good for you to be around people who love the Lord. And we worship God collectively. Can I love the Lord at home? Absolutely. Can I feel His Holy Spirit? Yes, yes, yes. But there's something special about being together. This morning, what God has put on my heart, if I titled it, would be, Love is Everything. That might sound like a cliche title, but I don't know how else to call this message. And I mean it as literally as can be. Love is everything. We're going to study 1 Corinthians chapter 13. If you want to go ahead and turn there. For a lot of you, this will be very familiar. And I want to caution you. When we look at really familiar passages, this was the first chapter I ever memorized. I think I was in 5th or 6th grade. And I remember I wanted to memorize it in King James just because I thought it was beautiful. This might be very familiar to y'all. People, people who aren't even religious have it read in their weddings. They have it posted on their houses. That's wonderful. But here's the caution. Sometimes when we look at a passage that's so familiar, we have a tendency to check out and think, oh, I already know that one. Don't do that today. Listen to what the Holy Spirit speaks to your heart. Try to listen to the words I say, but listen to what He pricks and and teaches and puts in your heart because these are beautiful truths. As you're turning there, I want to read one verse from 1 John chapter 3. Behold what manner of love the Father has bestowed upon us that we should be called the sons of God. Wow. 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 You get it? See, I didn't understand that until I had my own baby. I thought I did. I love people. I have a love in my heart that God put there. And I've told this before, but when she came into this world, into my hands, my daughter, I felt a love I've never felt before. 
And that love I don't have for y'all. <laughs> not being mean, I'm just telling you. A father's love. Now, imagine the perfect Heavenly Father who has no sin, who has no distractions, who has none of the weaknesses that I have. Behold what manner of love the Father has for us that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Wow! You see, it wasn't some type of involuntarily biological association. He chose us, He adopted us, and He calls us sons and daughters. Wow! If we could latch on to just that truth, I mean deeply get it. Deep in our spirits. What manner of love He has to call me His son. What manner of love He has to call you His daughter. If, if we could really get that, we wouldn't need much other teaching. You understand? So when I say love is everything, I mean it. This is not a catchy title. I mean literally love is everything. Love is how we were saved. Love is what compelled or not even compelled, motivated or... I don't even know how to say it in relation to God. But love is why He did what He did. Love is why Jesus did what He did. Love is why Jesus continues to do what He does. Love should be why we do what everything we do. So, let's read 1 Corinthians 13 with that backdrop. I want to read this chapter and then say some commentary, some things the Lord put on my heart, and then come back to this chapter and look at it verse for verse, okay? I'm going to read this from King James today because it's, it's, it's probably most familiar to everybody in that language, and it's beautiful. But if you have a different translation, that's fine. Just listen and read. Huh. This is the Apostle Paul speaking or writing to the Corinthian people. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity... And let me say this in case you don't know. When you see the word charity here, this is the Greek word agape. This is Christian love. This is the love God gives us when He saves us. That's what this word means. Though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels, and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. And though I have the gift of prophecy, and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and though I have all faith, so that I could remove mountains and have not charity, I am nothing. And though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor, and though I give my body to be burned and have not charity, it profits me nothing." Charity suffereth long and is kind. Charity envieth not. Charity vaunteth not itself, is not puffed up, doth not behave herself unseemly, seeketh not her own, is not easily provoked, thinketh no evil, rejoiceth not in iniquity, but rejoiceth in the truth, beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. Charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. For now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. And now abideth faith, hope, and charity, these three, but the greatest of these 
is charity. First Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between two chapters, 1 Corinthians 12 and 1 Corinthians 14, that many religious people argue about to no end. Some of the first religious arguments I ever had with friends of mine were over these passages. <laughs> and it's interesting that so many religious people use chapter 12 and chapter 14 to justify spiritual gifts, I'm putting quotations, spiritual gifts that they covet. And Paul sandwiches chapter 13 right in between those two. And I'm not saying there aren't spiritual gifts. I'm saying you're missing the point. If you're focused on anything he's talking about in 12 or 14, you're missing the point. Because he says clearly the point is agape love. Agape love is the end-all, be-all. Charity. It's not about any of the other stuff. And, and I'm not targeting other denominations. I'm trying to preach the truth. And if a person is participating in false doctrine, they, sh they should know. I'm not afraid to say that. It's, it's wrong to focus on or to elevate a supposed spiritual gifting as the mark of salvation. I have friends who say, if you can't speak in tongues, you're not saved. Y'all, you know people like that. Now, I'm not today going to dispute or talk about whether that is a gifting that we have today. That's not the point of this message. The point of the message is, if you need an outward, noisy, visible manifestation to prove that you're the child of God, you don't understand the depths of the love that God has for us. Because the evidence of whether you're His child is love. Has your heart changed? Behold what manner of love that we should be called the sons and daughters of God. Love is the evidence. In fact, in 1 John we're taught, chapter 3, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us, 1 John 3, 16. And, and we also see in that chapter that that is the mark on the people of God. Love. Not impressive spiritual giftings. Now, I do believe that there are people who are gifted in different ways. Some people have a discerning spirit. They're able to sniff out falsehoods. Some people have a gentle spirit. They're able to be tender even to the most hateful people. Some people have a bold spirit. They're able to stand in the face of opposition. These are, I believe, giftings from God. But the mark that should be on every single one of His children is a supernatural, God-fed, God-inspired, God-prompted love. Every child of God should be full of love. Love is everything. There were times Jesus was meek. There were times he was bold. There were times he stood, I mean, powerfully. There were times he let people abuse him. But he was always loving. There were times he used sarcasm. There were times he used sincerity of speech. There were times he spoke harshly to people. There were times he spoke gently. But he was always loving. Do you understand? Love should always be there. And... This message is a challenge in today's culture because most people don't understand what love even is. Just like the rainbow. It has been co-opted and perverted to mean something that it never was supposed to mean. And now it has become a symbol for a whole movement that perverts the idea of love. 
You know what love is? God is love. He is love. That's what Scripture teaches. And so, you're not going to have love apart from God. Throughout my life, I was saved at a, at a young age. I was 14. I remember how God transformed me. I felt it. It was deeper than my mind. It was deeper than what I could understand. It was deeper than what I could explain. And throughout, since then, a lot of people in my life have felt like I'm a very loving person. If they feel that way, it's because they sense something of God in me. Really. It's Him. He is love. Do you understand? Somebody can be nice to you and not be loving. Somebody can use gentle speech and not be loving. Somebody can act kindly and not be loving. Somebody can speak hard, like clearly, laser focused, and be loving. Jesus did that sometimes. You understand? Love is so much deeper than what it's packaged in. And again, I want you to get this, so I'm going to repeat it. 1 Corinthians 13 is right in between these two chapters that religious um, denominations fight about. <laughs> we can agree on love, can't we? We should. And if we can't, what are we doing? I'm not saying doctrine doesn't matter. Just like last week when I preached, if you weren't here or didn't hear the message, uh, we preached and talked about the, the threats to the existence of a Lord's congregation and how um, the, there's seven churches in Revelation and the greatest threat was the one that lost their first love. They stopped being in love with Jesus. They became more focused on their rightness, their doctrinal purity. So when I say love is everything, even in that context, I believe it. In this church, love is everything. In your marriage, love is everything. It doesn't mean there aren't other things. It means love is what overflows into the other actions. Now, love is nothing like the movies. Let me just say that clearly. I've had a lot of my, my female friends over the years. I, I got married when I was in my 30s, so I, I was friends with a lot of uh, girls before I got married. And they all, a lot of them told me, I don't know if I'm going to let my kids watch Disney movies. This is what young ladies told me, because they messed me up about what to expect in a marriage and in a relationship. So listen, there's a narrative in our culture that is telling young children, babies, that love is something it not even is. My wife and I get tickled at some of the romance, like some of the stuff in movies, and it's nothing like that in a marriage relationship. <laughs> I mean... It's just silly. So that's not what love is. We know, and let me go ahead and say this, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. Love at its purest sense and the most uh, accurate definition is sacrificial. That's the purest love. And if some of you are trying... Maybe some of you are trying to find a spouse or pursuing that. You're in a relationship looking for someone to marry. Let me give you a good way to find out whether that person loves you. Are their actions toward you sacrificial? If they're not, it's not love. It's something else. It might be emotional excitement. It might be chemistry. It might be pheromones. Love at its very heart is sacrifice. And that's the only thing. You ask any of these people who have married 50 or 60 years, that has to be there. Or it's not going to last. 
Now, let's move on from the idea of relational or romantic love and just to love in general. We, as God's people, tend to think of love as something that we need to add to all the other things that we have to do. Like, have you ever said this? I need to be more loving. What does that mean? I've said it. You know what I mean when I say that? What my, what my heart is spilling over in that moment? That, when, this is me. Maybe it's you too. When I say something like that, my heart is telling me, I'm feeling overwhelmed by all the stuff I have to do, by all my religious obligations, by all my duties. And I'm feeling that there's a disconnect. I'm doing the actions, but there's something missing. And there needs to be some more love in that. But love isn't something you're supposed to mix into all the other stuff. It is all the stuff. You get it? And you know that. And I think that's one reason, you might not agree with this, but I believe this. That's one reason I think religious busyness might be more pleasing to our enemy than to our Father. Yes. Amen. Because you can do all the stuff without love, and it's not what God wants. We can do all of it without love, and it, we're missing all of it. Have you ever known somebody who... Maybe when you think about who's the smartest person I know, it's not that person. Who's the wisest person I know? Not that person. Who's the boldest person I know? Not that person. Who's the most loving person I know? That person. Do you know people like that? Or have you ever known someone? I have. And they're a gift from God. Because truly, you see in a person like that their weaknesses, and you also see the Scripture, love covers a multitude of sins. I'm not saying other things don't matter. I'm saying love is paramount. It'd be better to be loving than do all the religious stuff if you can't do both. And sometimes we can't do both. Sometimes there's too much. We don't have enough bandwidth, enough energy, enough strength. Then what you need to do is get alone with God until you're overwhelmed by His love and His love overflows into your life. That's more important than doing religious stuff. It's hard for us because we've been conditioned by our culture that our activities are our identity. When you meet somebody for a first time, usually the first question is, what do you do? And nobody means, what do you do on a regular basis? They mean, what's your job? What do you do? And then the person says, I am an attorney. I am a nurse. I am a teacher. Their occupations, their identity. And God intends for our identity to be so much deeper than the job that we signed up for. You understand the whole thing's messed up. And it all ties in to how we feel like we're busy, we got to do the stuff, and we don't... Do you know, it's hard in our culture, and some of you are better at this than others. And the ones who are better at it, God bless you, please stay close to Him. It's hard for us to just be. Have you ever been on the way to church? A little bit late. Maybe your kids were a little cantankerous that morning. Maybe you were up late the night before, but you're rushing, you're speeding a little bit, and you see somebody on the side of the road with a flat tire, and you think, man, I'd like to help them, but I don't have time. I've got to get to church. Have you ever done that? I know a lot of people who have. I'm not saying it's not important to get to church on time. It is. But sometimes, that's just an, an analogy. It's just an example of how we can get so focused on the stuff we're doing that we forget 
the whole point of it all. Think about this. Everything Jesus did, everything Jesus did in this life proceeded from a deep, pure love for His Father. All of His actions were directed by, governed by, prompted by His love for His Father. Now, that's a challenge for us. But He's our example. And if you want to serve God purely and you want to be a good child of God, a good Christian, a good church member, a good friend, a good husband, a good wife, a good son, daughter, anything in life that you want to be what you should, all of your actions should be motivated by, is this pleasing to my Father? Is this coming from a deep sense of love for Him? And if it is, it will spill over into a deep love for everybody else. That's what it did with Jesus. His, his love for His Father spilled over into an abiding and sacrificial love for the whole world. Do you know Jesus could not have loved us like He did if He didn't love His Father first? He, he, he gave, I mean, He demonstrated that in His life. There were times, God showed me this in Scripture years ago, and I, He keeps showing me because I'm kind of stubborn about this kind of stuff. There were times Jesus left all of the desperate people on shore, got on a boat, and left them behind. Do you know that? To go be alone with His Father. Because He had to draw strength from Him. Because He loved His Father more than He loved the people. And his fa- the only way He could love the people and heal them and help them and save them was if it was coming from a deep abiding love from the Father overflowing into those people. And by the way, you know what real Christian ministry is? It's an overflowing of God's love. I'm not saying there's not duty, responsibility, obligation. Sometimes you're not in the mood to go to church. You should come anyway, and then you realize once you get there, it's a good thing I came. Y'all know this. But what I'm saying is, the most pure form of serving God is when it overflows. Like, I've got so much of His love in me, I can't even hold it in. And when you're like that, it's not exhausting to help people. When you're like that, it's not tiring. When you're, not, when you're like that, it doesn't feel like, oh, one more person who needs one more thing. I don't know if I can do it. I said this already, but I want to read it clearly. 1 John... Chapter 4, starting in verse 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. And whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. The identifying mark on God's people. Are you my child? Do you love? Do you have real love? If you have real love, and I'm not talking about you feel like you love somebody, therefore you must be a Christian. It's deeper than that. I mean real love. I mean, when you get to the point and you say, there's something in me for that person that I don't have in here naturally. God did this. Whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God, because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us, that God sent His only Son into the world so that we might live through Him. It's... Even our life, when Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life, this is what He's talking about. He didn't save us so we can go be Christians. Do you you know, like we... we, The reason I mention this idea of, of our occupational identities is because that's how we interpret everything. 
We think now Christian is my occupational identity. Christian is what I have to go do. No. This is walking with God. This is, this is being with Him. This is living in Him. Whoever does not love does not know God because God is love. In this, the love of God was made manifest among us that God sent His only Son in the world that we might live through Him. True Christianity is life and there's no life apart from Jesus and there's no Christianity that you do without Him. It's all living the life of Christ inside of you which you can't do understand it's not a thing you do this is why it's so hard in our world for us to understand pure biblical love we don't even understand this we don't even understand life Jesus talks about himself as life I don't, I don't need you as my followers to go do some stuff I require I want you to live in me I want you to draw strength from me like I'm the trunk and you're the branches. Like I'm the root and you're the vines. And there's such a depth of truth to that, I don't think we really get it most of the time. We think we have to go generate a feeling of love. Like, I'm not loving, I need to be more loving, I wish I had more love. What, what, that's when we say that? We usually mean something like, I want to have a nicer feeling toward that person. I want some of my irritation to be a little less. I, I want to feel kinder to them. I want to feel more gentle to them. The real love of God is so much deeper than how you think you feel towards somebody. When God's love overwhelms you, you're not thinking about your feelings. And you're really not thinking about that person's feelings. You're so focused on the Father that you can't help but speak the truth to them. That's what happens. God is love. No one's ever seen God. If, he says, if we loved one another, God abides in us and His love is completed or perfected in us. That's a beautiful picture. And again, 1 John 3.16, this is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down His life for us. And it continues, and we ought to lay down our lives for each other. You know how to be a good brother, sister? Be a good husband, wife? Be a good church member? Be a good child of God? Love? It's the only way you can lay down your life for each other. Love. Love, love, love. This is how we know. This verse tells this is how we know. that the, the very definition of love. In other words, we wouldn't even be able to define love without recognizing Jesus Christ laid down His life. That is love. It's not a feeling. It's not a warm, fuzzy thing inside. It's not a desire. It's something so much deeper that words are insufficient to describe. Love wants and pursues the best for a person, not just what that person wants. And love compels this regardless of personal cost. In other words, let me put it this way. Jesus loved people enough to tell them the truth even when it made them hate Him. Everything He did was motivated by love. That's what Scripture teaches. Now, it's hard for us to imagine that because at our best moment, on our best day, not everything we do is motivated by love. It's not. Although it should be. Everything Jesus did was motivated by love and sometimes He made people so incensed they would have ripped Him apart right then if they could have. 
See, some of you shy away from true biblical God-honoring love because you think it's not loving if the person doesn't like what you say. I'm sure you've heard this analogy. A person with, with cancer goes to the doctor and the doctor recognizes it, but the doctor wants to be loving so he doesn't tell them because he doesn't want to hurt their feelings. No, true love, the doctor says, you got cancer, you need to change your lifestyle, you need to do these things and maybe you'll survive. And the person goes home depressed because they find out a truth they didn't know was there. But in that truth, they can work toward a better future. Isn't it like that? Sometimes you have to love somebody enough to say, this is going to make you mad, but I have to tell you. Whatever the cost is to me, sometimes love compels this. Jesus modeled that. And we don't need to forget that. We see this in, uh, in 1 Corinthians 13. We'll look at it specifically. But love doesn't seek its own needs. In other words, if you have pure love of God in your heart, you're going to say what needs saying because you're not thinking about how it's going to make you feel. Love doesn't seek its own. Well, I can't tell them that. They'd be mad at me. I won't let me see my grandkids. Don't worry about all that. Be loving. Tell the truth. <laughs> Please the Father. A few more of these thoughts that the Lord put on my heart, and then we'll, we're going to look at this chapter in a little detail. Love is what we're called by and called to. Love should be our highest aim and purpose. Sometimes I think we treat love as if it's the wrapping paper on a gift. Like, like we got this thing we're going to give somebody, but we need to wrap it up in a little love first. Here you go. Or sometimes we think of love like... We have this recipe. My wife made some delicious biscuits this morning. And they put all the, her and Mary Grace put all the things in that need going in. And we treat love like there's this one last little ingredient. I need to throw a little, throw a little love in there. No, listen. The true, God-honoring, biblical love, love is all of the ingredients. It's not just the wrapping paper. It's the present too. It's not something you add on or wrap around or, or tie to something. It is the something. It's not one ingredient among many. <laughs> it's the thing itself. This is not just my opinion. This is Scripture. First, First Timothy 1.5 says this, The end of the commandment, or in other words, the conclusion, the whole purpose of all this, is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned. Paul tells young Timothy... The whole point of everything I'm telling you is agape love. All of it. All these doctrines, all of this religious teaching, all of this history, every bit of it should produce love. And if it doesn't, you're missing the point. That's what he says. Charity out of a pure heart, of a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. <clears throat> Jesus... The best teacher, the best thinker, the best person. There was a time, this is recorded in Mark and a couple of the other Gospels as well. Mark chapter 12 is the one I, I selected. But verse 28, one of the teachers of the law came and heard them debating. Noticing that Jesus had given them a good answer, he asked them, of all the commandments, which is most important? 
There's Ten Commandments that were given to Moses, but there were hundreds that the Jews observed. Which is most important? What would you have said if you didn't know this, if you hadn't already read this verse? Well, Jesus answered in the only way that anybody could have answered if they understood the Father's heart. He said, The most important one is this, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is, is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second most important is this, Love your neighbor as yourself. There's no commandment greater than these. Now, it doesn't mean that you don't do anything with it. Real love produces real action. I think maybe love prompted my wife to make the biscuits, and I, I'm glad she gave me some biscuits and not just a bowl of some love. She said, here's a bowl of love, eat that. It wouldn't have tasted as good. But here's what I'm telling you, the love produced, that's how it should be in our life. And we joke about things like that, and sometimes food tastes so good, and, and some of the little granny will say, you know why? I made it with love. It's true. I mean, it sounds silly, but it's actually true. Things taste better when love is there. Fellowship is better. You know why this morning felt so gentle and calm and good to your soul? Love. That's why we felt so good this morning. And if you didn't feel good, lay it before the Lord so you can. Love. Jesus answered that so clearly. There's no commandment greater than these. And the man replied to him, Well said, teacher. You're right in saying that God is one and there's no other but Him. To love Him with all your heart, all your understanding, with all your strength. To love your neighbor as yourself is more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. This man listened to the teaching of Jesus and he interpreted it through Scripture. He's paraphrasing Scripture in his response. You know what Jesus tells him? Jesus saw, he answered wisely, and he said, You're not far from the kingdom of God. And then no one else dared to ask him any more questions. <laughs> in other words, the man got a little bit of it. Jesus said something that might have seemed silly to some legalistic um, rabbis, but this man was searching. And he said, you know what? You're right. Because Scripture teaches this, and I really can't do that without love. With those things in mind, let's return to 1 Corinthians 13. This is how we'll finish out the message. I, I'm just going to read verse by verse and say whatever I feel I need to bring out, okay? First verse, though I speak with the tongues of men and of angels and have not charity, I am become as a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. Paul, the apostle, he might be the only Bible writer who could accurately say this. Like, we could say something like this and it's just a thing to say. But none of us can speak with language of angels. I think there's a chance Paul maybe could have. Or at least he understood it. Because he talked about, he said... I, I, was, I knew a man in Christ once, he was talking about himself, he said, who was caught up into the third heaven and heard things that weren't lawful to utter. But Paul saw third heaven, that's where God dwells and where his redeemed are. He saw things and he heard things that he wasn't allowed to tell us about and even if he could have been allowed, the language wouldn't support it. So when he says, if I speak with languages of men and of angels, he might actually be able to. And he made clear in another letter, he wrote and he said, I'm thankful that I speak with more languages than all of you. The, Paul knew more languages of the world at the time, at least Greek, 
at least Hebrew, at least Aramaic, those sorts of languages, plus some other ones around. He said, I speak all these more than any of you. So when he says, if I speak with the languages of men and of angels, and why am I saying languages instead of tongues? Because that's what the Greek word means. A lot of this religious disagreement would go away if they would have just translated this as languages. What it is, it's words produced by this. This muscle, I'm sticking my tongue out if you can't see me. This muscle produces language. That's why it's called tongues. Okay? Uh, he says, if I could speak with languages of men and of angels and have not agape love, I'm just like a clanging cymbal or tinkling, tinkling cymbal of sounding brass. This is not even good music. This is, this is <laughs> noise. Not sympathy, sim not symphony, cacophony. This is when a three-year-old gets on a drum set. And I mean, it's not beautiful. That's what Paul says it sounds like to be the best linguist and the most spiritual language person if love isn't in it. Do you get it? So I could say that, but I only speak maybe one and a half languages. Paul says that he speaks multiple languages well. And he says, I could speak in all of them. And if it's not love, that's what it sounds like. Noise. Second verse. Though I have the gift of prophecy. Wow. And understand all mysteries and all knowledge. And though I have all faith so that I could remove mountains and have not agape love, I'm nothing. Those are some amazing statements. The gift of prophecy. That means being able to speak forth the heart of God, the will of God, the revealed will of God. And if I understand all mysteries, man, we understand some slivers of mysteries. We understand an occasional mystery as God reveals it. Paul says, even if I could understand all mysteries, and even if I had all knowledge, and even if I had complete faith to remove mountains whenever I wanted to, have any of you ever had that kind of faith? Paul says, even if I could do all of that, if I don't have love, he doesn't say it's nothing. He says, I am nothing. You can become so religious that you're wrong. You can, people think they can do these things. I've met people who supposedly prophesied over my life, come up to me in some kind of a frenzy and say, this is what the Lord says for you today. And I listen and I'm like, huh, that's kind of weird. There's no love in it. My heart is not warmed. I don't feel any power of God. This is a person who thinks they have the gift of prophecy, but it's not with love. And yet, I've heard people preach under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, sometimes not eloquent words, and my heart is moved, and there's the power of God in it. There's a difference, isn't there? And you know what? I might not even like the preacher who's preaching. There's some people, I don't care for their personalities, but I've heard them preach in the power of God, and my spirit inside of me says, Wow! You know why? Because they're submitted to the Lord in love in that moment. And He's using them. It's not the vessel, it's the, it's the power of God inside the vessel that's supposed to overflow love out. This one, this, this is really going to get some of us. The third verse, Though I bestow all my goods to feed the poor. Charity is a good thing. Where do you draw the line? 
You know, sometimes it's hard to know how generous to be. It, genuinely. Like from your heart. Sometimes it's hard to know how much to give. And, and Paul says, even if I give absolutely everything I have to feed the poor, I'm going to sell my house. I'm talking in today's terms. I'm going to sell my house. I'm going to sell my car. I'm going to sell my clothes. I'm going to sell my scooter. I'm going to sell Mary Grace's toys. I'm going to sell my wife's clothes. And give it all away. And though I give my body to be burned. What's he talking about? I die the death of a martyr. I stand for the truth so purely. But if I don't have agape love, there is no profit in it. You could spend your whole life giving, and if it's prompted by something other than love, you're missing the point. You could stand for, quote, the truth so much that you end up dying for it, and if it's not profit, if it's not compelled by love, there's no profit. Do you understand why I called this message, love is everything? It literally. Now, he gets into the aspects of love that every time I read this part of this passage, there's... I'm convicted in my spirit because there's some areas I fall short and I want to have the Lord make me better. Charity suffereth long. In other words, true agape love is long-suffering. You know what that means? There's no flaring temper. There's no flaring frustration. There's no quick anger. There's no, there's no eye-rolling. There's no disgust. That's what that means. Charity suffers long... Charity is kind. Charity envieth not. There's no envy in pure love. Anyone of your peers could tell you the best news in their whole life and there's not one drop of je jealousy. You just say, oh, I'm so thankful for the favor of God upon your life. Vaunteth not itself. This is a funny word that we don't use anymore, but it, 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 it's a good word. It means propping yourself up on something. You know real love doesn't do that. It's not self-focused and it's certainly not trying to prop myself up higher than I really am. And it is not puffed up. You know what puffs you up? Pride. If you're full of pride, you're not full of love. can't have both. Okay? It doesn't behave itself unseemly. In other words, there is appropriate way that true biblical love causes a child of God to act. It doesn't seek its own. Love doesn't think, what do I need? And this is where I, I loosely quoted earlier. Sometimes love requires us to tell the truth even if it's going to hurt us. And that's what I try to do every Sunday with God's help. I really try. And sometimes people don't like you when you preach the truth. And it's not easy. It's hard. It's hard when somebody gets mad at you that you told the truth the best you could. And you know what? All you can do is keep telling the truth the best you can. And it's never perfect because I'm not perfect, but you know who is? God. And He's the one with the message that, that He gives us to try to preach. He doesn't seek its own. It's not easily provoked. That one pricks in my heart big time. I'm very, my flesh is very easily provoked. Some of y'all are like that, if you're honest. And maybe some of you aren't, that's okay. It doesn't mean you're better than us. <laughs> right? You got other problems. <laughs> it, 
doesn't, it's not easily provoked, thinketh no evil. This, we don't dwell on dark things when we're the people of God. It doesn't mean they never pop in your mind, but it's, it doesn't fester there. You've got to let go of it. If you have resentment, en- en- envy, strife, bitterness, any of this stuff, you've got to let go of it. That's what it's talking about. True love, biblical love, doesn't rejoice in iniquity. This is the sixth verse. It doesn't rejoice in iniquity, but it rejoices in the truth. Our culture today, this is part of what I've been preaching on lately, it rejoices in iniquity, this culture around us. And these people, they don't, they don't, it's not enough for you to allow them to do what they want. They want you to rejoice in their iniquity. And if you don't, you're wrong. And somehow you're loving. And then they say, you're not even Christian because you're not rejoicing in my lifestyle. No. Love doesn't rejoice in iniquity. It rejoices in the truth. Truth. What is the truth? I'm waiting for somebody to speak up. What is the truth? Nobody wants... The answer is one word. I'll give... No, Jesus. Jesus is the truth. Good. Close. (laughs) Maybe technically accurate. God is... Okay, Jesus is God. But Jesus said, I am the truth. Brothers and sisters, that shouldn't be complicated to answer. When it says love rejoices in the truth, it rejoices in Jesus and nothing else. Nothing else. Because you know what? Nothing else is truth except Jesus and everything He produces. Seventh verse. This is what agape love does. Beareth all things, believeth all things, hopeth all things, endureth all things. That first one's tough. Love bears all things. Man, you know what that makes me think? The best way my mind can visualize what this means is a faithful soldier bearing all things. He's he's fighting under incompetent commanders. The people back in Washington, the government, they don't really understand what's going on. But he's doing the best he can. He's bearing all things. Maybe he's carrying his companions out when they get injured. He's, He's standing. He's bearing all... That's what love does. See, love doesn't turn us into some shadow for us men, shadow of a man. It turns us into men. Same thing for you women. Real love makes you what you should be. Believeth all things. This doesn't mean it believes things that aren't true or things that shouldn't be believed. This is talking about agape love believes the things of God. And it hopes in the things of God and it endures in the things of God, but also it endures all the fiery darts of the wicked one. You want to stand against the enemy? You've got to have love. This one's beautiful. Eighth verse. Charity, agape love, never fails. I want us to really get this. Agape love never fails. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Wow. Whether there be tongues or these languages, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. You see, what when I said 1 Corinthians 13 is sandwiched between these two chapters, Paul dispels all of this where our focus should be. 
Maybe some of you have some sort of a gift. If you want to call it prophecy, that's okay. Maybe God has helped you understand things. And I believe that there are people who have spiritual awareness that is a gift that other people don't have. Don't focus on that. If you have that, it's a gift of God and it's going to pass away. You know where all your gift of prophecy is going to be when you're in heaven? Focused on Jesus. And maybe some of you are able to speak languages from God that you haven't even had taken the time to learn that this is a gift God gave. That's going to pass away. You know what you're going to be saying in heaven? Worthy is the Lamb. Nobody's going to be boasting of all the languages they know. And whether there be knowledge... Oh man, I wish religious people could get this because they spend their lives, we can spend our lives focused on accumulating knowledge to try to seem impressive to somebody, but the knowledge is going to vanish away like vapor. You know what's going to remain? Love. He says, we know in part, we prophesy in part, the best revelation you have right now, whatever God reveals to you, is only going to be in part. And we just talked about this when the Lord told Moses, Moses said, show me your glory. And he said, I can only let you see the back of me. If you see the front of me, my face, you'll die. Even Moses, who was a friend of God, who God showed him glory that we've never seen, it was only in part. We know in part and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect comes, when the perfect comes, when the complete comes, then the things that's in part will be done away. And Jesus, by the way, I think that's talking clearly about Jesus. He is the perfect one. Eleventh verse. When I was a child, I spake as a child, I understood as a child, I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. That's very clear, and it seems maybe odd to be thrown into this passage unless you understand that part of spiritual maturity, part of growing up in God is to be filled by and prompted by and motivated by love. And then he says, now we see through a glass darkly or, or we're looking in a mirror. What we're seeing is only a reflection of reality. We think we understand, we don't. But we're going to see face to face. We know in part now but then we'll know even as also we're known. Now, he says this, and this sums it all up. This is how I'm concluding the message. Now abide faith, hope, and charity. He, Paul talked about prophecies. He talks about gifts of languages. He talks about knowledge. And he doesn't talk about it here, but in other areas, he talks about gifts of healing. There's all these giftings. You know what he says? All of those things are going to go away. Nothing's going to be left except faith, hope, and charity. And out of these three, agape love, charity, is the greatest. You want to be great in the kingdom of God? You want to be an important, effective church member? You want to be a good soldier of God? You want to be a faithful servant of His? Love. It's more important than anything else. The greatest of these is love. And in the very next verse, he says, follow after love. Follow after agape love. Follow after it. How do you follow after it? You realize that it's not an it. It's a he. Follow after Jesus and God because he is love. That's the message today. God bless you. I hope it's as helpful to you as it was to me when I was studying it.